grateful that you're here. Turn your Bibles to Romans. We're finishing up this week and next week are the final two sermons in the book of Romans. So this week is Paul's kind of closing comments in Romans, but they're not throwaway comments. They are comments for a purpose, and all of Scripture is God-breathed, and so even the closings in a letter are God-breathed, God-ordained, and God has a purpose for them for us to learn from His Word. It's profitable for our instruction, for learning. As I mentioned last week, I'm kind of sad as we're closing out the book of Romans. It's like leaving a good friend. But the good news is, hey, any time that you want, you can open up the book of Romans again and go back and renew your friendship with the Apostle Paul. So this morning we are going to hear his closing letter to the, the church in Rome. And his heart really comes out. And his desire to partner with the church there in Rome, it comes out and it's evident. And so I want us to see God's word as for us as well. Not just as a closing to that church, but as God's letter to us as well. Um, sometimes what we do is we stand for the reading of God's Word. Um, we want to acknowledge that God's Word is inerrant, it's holy, it's inspired. This morning I'm not going to have you stand because the passage is really long. And so practically um, some people are not able to stand as long. So we're going to read this passage out loud. But you can stand in your hearts, if you will, with me for giving honor and reverence to God's Word. And before we do that I'm going to take a sip of water and then we will get started. This is God's holy word in Romans 15, verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I've enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings." When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, and that by God's will I might come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Syncre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinitus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. 
Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphania and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister Olympus, and the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you give your word to us because you love us. Thank you that you have men write letters to churches inspired by your Holy Spirit uniquely. And God, thank you that those letters were not just letters written to that church, but those letters are written to us as well. That you intend for us to receive from you. And God, thank you that in these closing comments of the letter to to Romans, Lord, thank you that we have much to learn and much to glean. God, I pray that you would keep our hearts attuned to you, keep our minds actively listening for you. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds through your word. God, that you would empower us to hear from you by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, once I was briefly, very briefly, or at least for a few hours, separated from my wife and kids. Didn't want to be separated from my wife and kids. We were driving back from the island of Vancouver. We have to get on a ferry because it's separated from where we lived in Vancouver, BC. It was separated by about an hour and a half or two hour ferry ride. And so you would drive your car, you go to the island, and then you come back. So we had gone to the island, and we were on the way back, and you had to wait in this long line for the ferry. And my, I think one of my kids had to go to the bathroom, so I said, hey, why don't you guys walk onto the ferry, because they said that we'll get on this, this next ferry. And, and it turned out that about, about three car lengths, I missed the ferry boat. I, I, I was un, un <laughs> for some reason, I, I was affected in a way that wasn't, it wasn't relatable to the situation because I knew where they were going. I knew where they were heading. I knew that they were going to be safe. They were on a ferry. It's not like somebody was going to take them off of the ferry or they could be stolen from that. They were on a, on a ship. But I was bothered by it. I didn't like being separated from my wife. I didn't like being separated from my kids. I don't, I don't like being apart from my family. Even just on something that's relatively safe like that, I was concerned for the well-being. I wanted to be with them. I, I wanted their relationship. I wanted to enjoy it. I wanted to enjoy the ride. And plus, sometimes you can see whales together, and it's kind of cool and all that kind of stuff. I wanted to help my wife and the kids. I wanted to be with them. You know, it's because God has designed us for relationships. God has designed us for partnerships. God has designed us to be together. He's ultimately designed us to be in his family. And so he gives us that, that sense of longing or desire to be with our family, to be with ultimately his family, to be with him. Because God created us for relationships. God created us for partnerships. Have you, have you ever been apart from family and you've really longed to be with them? Anybody here ever been apart from family and you really longed to be with them in some way? Or maybe you didn't come from that kind of family, you just longed for a family. Because you never had a family that you wanted to be with. Because that's true for some, unfortunately. But God created us to, to be in his family and to be in partnership with him. And together, 
to reflect who he's made us to be. You see, originally, Adam and Eve, they they were created created to be in partnership with God. They were created to be in union, in relationship with God, and to partner with God in his purposes. And they were meant to relate to him, to be in partnership with him. Of course, we all know that through Adam's sin, that partnership, that relationship was separated. But the good news that we, we know, that we celebrate this season, is that Jesus came to reunite us to God so that we can be in right relationship with him. So that ultimately we can partner with him again in his purposes. And how we do that is by partnering in the good news of the gospel. We we partner together in relationships that carry out the good news of the gospel. And God created us to be in those relationships. And he created us to be in that partnership really to reflect the relationship and partnership that we have with him. And then together with relationships with other people, we can carry out the mission that he has for us. And we've been given a good and a glorious mission to carry out the gospel. We've been hearing all about the good news of Jesus Christ in the book of Romans. How the gospel is what changes us. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it changes us at our core. And it restores us to right relationship with God. And then it brings us into relationship with God's people and our fellow sisters and brothers in Jesus Christ. And then we're meant to partner together in those relationships, carrying out that good news so that more people can be brought back into relationship with God. The Apostle Paul was driven by his gospel mission. He was driven by the mission that God had called him to because he knew that God was about a plan to carry out his good news all throughout the world to reconcile a people to himself, to bring people in relationship with him because we ultimately need God. And in those relationships, God has given us relationships with fellow believers as well to carry out the mission. He, he calls us to be in partnership with fellow believers Ultimately, really to reflect the partnership that he calls us to in him. So those relationships, that partnership that he's called us to, it's a blessing and it's a benefit. And the Apostle Paul, he knew that. He understood that. He knew that Christian life could not be lived alone. He wasn't just writing instructively to the church in Rome. From the very beginning of the letter to the Romans, Paul was really clear. He knew that he wanted to be with them because he needed their gospel partnership. He needed the relationship that God had provided in them and in believers all throughout the world in order to be faithful to the gospel mission. He knew the gospel mission depended on partnership and that depended on the help of other people. At the end of the book of Romans here, he is expressing his desire to be with them. And that's not anything new. He opened up the letter to the Romans. If you remember, if you wanted to flip back, you could go back to Romans 1. You could see that Paul initially, he expressed a desire to be with them. Why is that? Because Paul wanted the mutual encouragement of their partnership. He wanted the benefits of their partnership as well. He wanted to benefit them and he also wanted benefits from them. And that's a good thing because it's the only way that we can carry out God's gospel mission. He knew that gospel partnership, it depends on helping, on on praying and on welcoming. Or maybe put another way, on giving and in praying and welcoming. The Apostle Paul knew that his gospel partnership, it depended on, it depended on the giving, the praying, and the welcoming of his brothers and sisters in Christ. 
And he wanted to be with the church in Rome. And he asked them, in this passage, what we can see here is that his partnership, it depended on helping and praying and welcoming. It's not different for us today. We, we need to partner together with the church in order to be effective in our gospel mission. We depend on the giving, on the prayers, and on the welcoming of the church, on that gospel partnership to be effective as Christians. Do you know that? Do you know that you depend? You depend on your gospel partnership with other believers in order to be effective in your gospel witness, in your gospel mission. You need that. You need the church. You need that partnership. You need the family that God has provided what we see here is Paul just laying out for us what he's already been explaining. He, he told us in Romans chapter 12 that we're to live a life really of worship and that it's, it's acceptable worship to God. And what does it look like? It looks like living a life of sacrificial living. And then he explains a bunch of commands. And, and, and three of those commands that he told us earlier about in chapter 12 was, was to contribute to the needs of the saints, to pray, to welcome one another. And he comes back to that theme again as he's closing because he knows how essential gospel partnership is for us to be successful in gospel mission. Look down in 22 and 23 of Chapter 15, the, the very thing that kept him from being with him was his gospel mission, but he was longing to be together with him. He said, this is the reason why I've been hindered from coming to you. Why? Because he's been preaching the gospel. He says, but now since I no longer have any room for work in those regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, he says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. What, what drove Paul? What drives you? What drove the Apostle Paul in the very beginning of his letter to Romans? What, what drives the Apostle Paul now as he closes the book of Romans? What, what drove him was the desire to proclaim the gospel, to carry that gospel mission out. Because he saw that every believer in Jesus Christ has been given the mission to carry out the gospel. What drives you this morning? What drives you this morning? Are you driven by success? Are you driven by a job? Are you driven by family? Are you driven by... Um, income, or what, what are you driven by? Self-desires? Or are you driven by the thing that drove the Apostle Paul? Because he's laying out his own example. It's not just to say, hey, here's who, who I was, but it's saying, look, this is what I'm living for. Let me encourage you. Be living for what matters most. Be living for the mission of the gospel. And if you're living for the mission of the gospel, it depends on gospel partnership. And that gospel partnership, it depends on on giving, mutual help. It, it, it depends on prayer and it depends on mutual welcome as well. Why was he so passionate about the gospel? He's passionate because he knew that the, the gospel, as we saw in Romans 1.16, it's the power of God for salvation. Are you struggling in life? Do you struggle with different areas in your life? The gospel is the power of God for salvation. It says to everyone who believes, and then in verse 17 it says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed now listen to what it says, from faith, for faith. Isn't that interesting? From faith, for faith. So the righteousness of God is real, from faith, for faith. He says, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel reveals who Jesus Christ is, and from faith, for faith, and we live by faith in what the message of the gospel is. The gospel is really 
the thing that not only makes us alive, but it empowers us every day. It's what we have faith in, in God, in Jesus Christ, in the good news that comes through the gospel. It's the power of God to make the dead alive. And it's revealed in the gospel. And Paul knew, though, that this mission of the gospel, this life-transforming mission that he's called each and every one here to, this life-transforming mission he's called you and I to, He's he's called each and every person here, listen up, he's called each and every person here to the life-transforming mission of the gospel. But the life-transforming mission of the gospel that you have, it depends on helping, or it depends on giving, however you want to put that. It depends on helping or giving. Paul says in verse 24, he says, I I hope to see you in passing and go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. He, he, He was... He was hoping to go to Spain because the gospel had not yet been proclaimed in Spain. He had already kind of covered most of the major cities in the Mediterranean basin. He wasn't saying he preached the gospel everywhere to everybody and every person that would have been impossible for him. But what he's saying is he effectively planted gospel witnesses in every major city. And then now that he's planted gospel witnesses there, there are no other places that he needed to plant witnesses that now those witnesses could go out and reach their surrounding communities. And so now he was hoping to head to Spain. But in order to do that, he wanted to come to Rome first and be helped by them. And he, the help that he's talking about here is, is specific. He, he wanted their financial gift. And he was unashamed and unabashed about that. Why? Because God uses our resources, our money, to carry out the gospel. He's very practical. He says, I want to be helped on my journey there by you. And he says, once I've enjoyed your company for a while... He was going to continue on, and he said, though, at present I am in the midst of going to Jerusalem. I'm going to bring money or aid to the saints there. Paul knew that carrying out gospel ministry, carrying out the gospel mission, it required giving or helping in the church. I remember when we were contemplating moving from Fairfax, Virginia, to Vancouver, British Columbia. It was about a 3,000-plus mile move. It was, it was not only a big move relationally, it meant giving up a lot of relationships and it meant being distant from family and friends. It also meant that it was going to be expensive, it was going to be costly. And what enabled us to go there was the church in Fairfax said, hey, why don't you relocate up there for three to six months, we'll fund you for the first six months, you can go looking for a job because the church plant there, they couldn't afford to support anybody at all, and so they were willing to give in order for us to move out there, and they actually paid for us to move to Vancouver. And it was through that that we were able to partner together in gospel ministry, and gospel mission. And, and through that, as we partnered together in gospel mission, we were able to see a church established there along with our friend Pat Sabell, and who actually wrote one of the songs we sang this morning. And we were able to not only see a gospel mission established there, but the gospel spread. And there's been several churches as a result in the area it's, that have been affected by the good news. Gospel partnership, it depends on giving. Paul, he, was, he knew that his gospel mission depended on the giving of the saints. And so he tells them, I'm on the way to Jerusalem. I'm going to bring aid to the saints there. Now, what we know now is that his, his aid mission wasn't exactly well received. But his desire was to partner together and he wanted to bring a gift to the saints in Jerusalem. Not just because they were in need, but because it said something about gospel witness and gospel testimony. They were in need. They were impoverished. They were fellow believers in need. And it was 
affecting the gospel witness as Paul was taking aid to them. He was demonstrating that God breaks down all barriers between Jews and Gentiles. That they are truly sisters and brothers in Christ Jesus. There's no barriers in race. There's no barriers in background. There's no religious or ethnic barriers any longer. God has broken down the dividing walls. is separated. And so their financial gifts were actually a means of communicating the gospel to their brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And saying that, hey, we are a family. We are in partnership together. And so Paul was going to carry that gift to the church in Jerusalem. And it demonstrated they were part of the same family. It demonstrated mutual love and care across those cultural and racial divides. It demonstrated that Paul himself was not anti-Jew, as some has claimed. It demonstrated that the Gentiles, they did not want to ostracize and start a new religion. They wanted to be brothers and sisters. They were brothers and sisters with Jews as well. It also was to reconcile. You see, the Apostle Paul, if you read through the other epistles, you see that he actually stood up when Peter came and visited the church he was in. Peter separated out, and the Jews ate separately than the Gentiles, and the Apostle Paul confronted him to his face. You know, the, the chief apostle of the apostles, the, the leader of the church in Jerusalem at the time, and Paul confronts him to his face, and he rebukes him, because why? He was saying that the gospel does not unify the gospel remains divided and Paul says no that's not the good news of the gospel it's that Jesus is able to reconcile Jew and Gentile alike and so he's carrying this financial gift as a means to communicate the gospel witness to the believers in Jerusalem and then he explains something else in verse 26 look down your Bibles he mentions two different areas his Macedonia and Achaia they have contributed, been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. Now, it's important to know that Macedonia, they weren't just giving, they were giving out of extreme need. Look in 2 Corinthians. I'm going to flip over to 2 Corinthians verse 8. I have it for you, I think, on the overheads. It says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Paul's mentioning this to the church in Rome because he wants to see the example of other churches that are generous in their giving for the sake of the gospel mission. To support existing churches, to to carry out the mission of church planting as well. That was true gospel partnership and it was giving for the sake of the gospel. They were sacrificing for the sake of their witness and their testimony. They were sacrificing to help existing churches. They were sacrificing so that God's word could be proven true, that he unites people from every background. They could demonstrate how the good news of Jesus Christ affected them. That's what our giving does. 
That's, that's why, as a church, we are seeking to partner together with a family of churches called Acts 29 because we want to help support the work that God is doing in other churches. And sometimes that means not only supporting this church, but supporting other churches that are existing church plants. And then it means also giving towards the start of new gospel missions as well. That's why, as a church, our goal, our desire is within five years is to plant another church. We would love to be able to plant churches in the area, and it's the giving, the partnership in the gospel that enables that to take place. Their love for God overflowed in generous giving towards gospel partnership. And they actually saw it as something they owed. Look down at verse 27 of chapter 15. It says, they're pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For as the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. What he's saying is that the Gentiles in Macedonia and Achaia, they knew that they had received the greatest inheritance, the greatest blessing from God, and it was a spiritual blessing, a spiritual inheritance of far more value, and they owed that to somebody. They owed that to the brothers and sisters in the church in Jerusalem, in a sense, they, they had a spiritual heritage, and so they wanted to give to them the material blessings that were really nothing in comparison to the, the amazing inheritance they had in Jesus Christ. The fact that they received the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it transformed them so that they, they wanted to give their material goods towards the furtherance of the gospel and to keep the church there and healthy in Jerusalem. And when Paul was on this giving mission, he also, at the same time, wanted to partner with the church in Rome. Look into verse 28. He says, When I have completed this and delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. He wasn't trying to be self-seeking. He wasn't trying to amass a fortune. He wasn't trying to fill the coffers of the church. He wasn't just trying to get this massive ministry or to be rich himself. He was seeking to be a faithful friend, not only to the church in Jerusalem, but he wanted to carry out the gospel mission, and it depended on giving. That gospel partnership, it depended on giving. And so he wanted to go forth to Spain by way of them, enabled by their gifts. And he knew that it was God's intention, his blessing, that he was coming in the fullness of the blessing of Jesus Christ. And sometime after writing the letter, Paul departed Corinth for Ephesus, and he told the elders there in Acts 20, he says, And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I don't account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I might finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's, that's the gift that he was taking to Jerusalem. That financial gift was a testimony to the grace of God. It was a testimony, a testifying of the gospel, the grace of God. He was carrying that gift. And when we give, we're testifying of the good news of the gospel, the grace of God at work in our own lives. And Paul went there knowing, not knowing what would happen to him. He said, I'm uncertain what's going to happen to me. I don't know what's going to happen. I only know that everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit keeps telling me that afflictions and imprisonment await me, but carrying out this gospel partnership is more important to me than my physical safety. It's what drove him. And, but he also valued a par- partnership not just in giving, 
He coveted their prayers. Gospel partnership, it depends on prayer as well. We can see that in verse 30 through 33. Gospel partnership, it depends on praying. It depends on praying. He he appeals to them. And this appeal is urgent. It's an urgent appeal. He's appealing to them and he's pleading with them. And he's saying, please pray for me. I don't just need your help and your gifts. That I do need. And I'm going to take some help and gifts. And and, and as we give, it's a ministry of that gospel. But we need your prayers. I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. He says, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. He covets their prayers. He knew that no ministry is possible without God sustaining it and enabling it. There's no work of the church. There's no work of any Christian that's possible without prayer. I don't know about you, but if you want to be a, do you want to be able to share the good news of the gospel? Anybody here want to share the good news of the gospel? Anybody? Raise your hand if you want to. It's okay. You want to share that with a neighbor? Anybody here have a neighbor you really want to declare the gospel to, that you want to be able to reach out to? Anybody here have a coworker you want to preach the gospel to? Anybody have a relative that you want to preach the gospel to? It depends on prayer. Our gospel partnership, it depends on prayer. The effectiveness of our ability to be faithful to what God's called us to do depends on prayer. The Apostle Paul knew that. He wrote about the effects of prayer in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 1.10, he says, He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. And then he says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. He was aware that the blessing and deliverance that God provides are granted through the prayers of many. The apostles, in many different occasions, they were delivered as the church prayed, a great story in the book of Acts, as, as Peter is in prison, the saints are gathering together and they are praying for his release. And as they pray, God sends angels to set Peter free from prison and open up doors physically and, and bring Peter there. And he goes and knocks on the door while they're having their prayer meeting. God has already answered their prayers. There are so many different places in the Bible where we see that God works in and through the prayers of his people. The book of James, James 5, 15, says the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. Then in verse 16, he says, and the prayer of a righteous person has great power as is it working. If you want to be faithful, if you want to be effective in gospel witness, if you want this church to be effective in our gospel witness, if you want us to be able to plant churches and you want to see the gospel be carried out, if you want to be faithful to the commission that God has given to each and every person here, it depends on prayer. Now don't say that so that to induce guilt in you because I think if you ask any Christian, you can say, hey, you know, how's your prayer life? And everybody will kind of just put their head down a little bit. This is not a condemning thing. This is meant to show you that, the, that prayer is effective and gospel partnership not only depends on prayer, but it's carried out in prayer. It's carried out in prayer. And so if you desire to be able to proclaim the gospel and be faithful in your witness, you need prayer. It doesn't have to be complex. You don't have to start thinking, what, 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 what do I pray? How do I pray? You can just pray simple prayers. Pray to God as if he's a person because he is. Pray to him like he's your father because he is. Pray to him as if he really cares about you, as if he knows your heart because he does. And then pray that he would do 
what he's called you to do. He would enable you to do that. Pray that God would carry out his mission in and through the work of the church, in and through you. And amazingly, God answers prayer. Through prayer, we see that God strengthens and sustains and gives us peace. And if you're lacking power, pray. Because God gives us his enabling grace and power through prayer. The book of Acts, we went through, I think almost two years ago by now. As the church gathered together, the place they were gathered while they were praying was shaken and the Holy Spirit came in power. Why? To enable gospel witness. Paul, he wrote in the letter to Ephesians that prayer was the means of maintaining and keeping the full armor of God that he talks about. He wasn't self-sufficient. He knew that God sustained him in his ministry in response to his prayers and the prayers of others. And he says, strive together with me in your prayer on my behalf to God. Now it's interesting. We can actually partner together in the work that God is doing through prayer. He says, strive with me. How do we strive with me? How do you work with the Apostle Paul or people like him? Well, now the Apostle Paul is dead, but how do, you, how do you work with those who are carrying out a gospel mission? How do you partner together with him? One of the ways you partner together with the gospel ministry in the church and in other places is through prayer. He says, strive with me. You're working with me as you pray. It's like you're working with me. Pray to God. Strive with me in prayer to God. He understood that he needed prayers. As a church, we need prayer. I need your prayer. Aaron needs your prayer. We we, we all need your prayer in order to lead effectively, in order to strategize, in order to carry out the vision that God has called us to, to plant churches. We need prayer. You need prayer. We as a church need to be praying. I appeal to you, church. Let's strive together in prayer to God for me and for this church. But notice, Paul's prayers weren't naive. He knew he faced potential imprisonment. Look in verse 31. He's praying informed prayers. He says that I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. He knew that he might be trapped or imprisoned by the unbelievers there. So he prays for deliverance. He prayed realistically. And then he prayed that his service to Jerusalem for Jerusalem might be acceptable. He knew that the unbelieving Jews there, they hated him because he was preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he prays that he might be delivered from being imprisoned there. He also prays that his gift, his, his physical financial gift he was bringing, it would be acceptable to the saints there. That they would see this as a testimony and a witness of the gospel. He knew that many Jewish Christians didn't like him because he rejected the idea that we need to keep the law in order to be pleasing to God. And so he's, he's validating really his message and he's validating his witness. He says, I pray that they would accept that and they would see that. I know that God needs to give me favor with these, not only unbelievers, but believers alike. And he wanted that so that he could have joy and be refreshed. That's, we need prayer in gospel mission in order to have joy and be refreshed. And God desires to give us joy and to be refreshed. And he does that through prayer. And then look at the first chat, verse of chapter 16. He says something interesting here. He says, come into our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Syncre, that she may, yet you may welcome her in the Lord. 
in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Not only do, do we partner together in the gospel through giving, we partner in the gospel through prayer, but we gospel partnership, it depends on welcoming. Paul probably was sending this letter through Phoebe. He's probably sending this letter from Phoebe to the church there, and it depended on the church welcoming her. The, the letter getting out depended on the church welcoming her. The success of Paul's mission, the success of the ministry, it depended on how they welcomed one another. I still remember when we, we had come from a background where we'd been hurt by several different churches. One, some theology was absolutely wonky, um, saying that really God is moved by our faith in that he responds only to our faith or somehow our faith is the mechanism that makes God work. And so we, 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 we went from that church, we went to another church where um, they, they had a wrong view of finances and that the reason why people struggle financially is because they're not giving enough. And we went from, from both of those bad experiences with really a wrong message of of the gospel, wrong message of the Bible. And so we were hurting and we were looking for a church and we we're looking for a healthy place to go. And so we showed up at this church on a Sunday morning and it was a huge, it was about 1,100 people. We walk in the door, we're not really sure. We're automatically a little bit taken aback. We're not sure, is this, do we want to be a part of a church like this? It's so big. But another part of us want to just kind of hide and slide in there unknown. And so we showed up, it was, I think, in December or January sometime. It was cold, as all I remember in Virginia. It was freezing cold. And we go in there, and yet we experienced a warmth from the people in the church that was not only disarming, but it made us want to come back again. And it made us think, wait a minute, these people are different. There's something about them that's affected them, that they're not like the other churches we've gone to. They're not like the other people we've encountered. They're genuinely warm. They're genuinely welcoming. They're genuinely kind and friendly. What in the world? Because other churches, you got the idea that they, they were just trying to get you in the doors while they were being friendly, and so it was kind of this fake friendliness. Have you ever encountered that? Or it was other churches we went to, they, they weren't fake, but they were cold. And so we walked in and nobody spoke to us. And we thought, well, what's wrong? If these people really love Jesus, shouldn't they love me? Shouldn't they have love for each other? Shouldn't they have love for people? And so we, we experienced that in different places. And, and so we came into this church and people were genuine with us and welcomed us and wanted to know us. It was weird in a good way. And I still remember there's a guy named Dave Henders. He was one of the pastors there, and he welcomed us, but we didn't know he was a pastor, and he said, said hello to us. He, he asked us her names, and we, we thought, okay, well, maybe we'll come back next week. The people were, were friendly, where they were warm. There seemed to be something different about them. They seemed to be affected by Christ in such a way that they, they love each other. There's something unique going on here. The gospel is not just words, but the gospel is actually actions, and they love each other. And so we came back the next week, and uh, he and several others remembered our names the following week. And I, I can't tell you how much that meant to us. This really small act of welcoming. It meant a lot to us. It communicated that the gospel was not just in word only, but it affected their lives really. So that they were actually warm and welcoming and friendly. And it was a display of, of really God's grace to us. It made us want to be there. 
It made us end up staying there. Now, we, we stayed there, not, not just because of welcoming church, because you come to welcoming church that has bad doctrine or bad teaching, and that's not a good place to be. But it was a welcoming church that believed in, in sound doctrine, but also believed in living passionately for God, that the gospel affects their life in every way. I want to be that kind of welcoming church. And by God's grace, I think that is the testimony of our church that whenever we have people come to church and say, wow, you know what, your, your, your church is welcoming. What do you do? I get, I get questions from other pastors who visited our church. Actually, the, the consistent question I get, and this has been probably the last six pastors I've spoken to who visited our church in some way, and, and they've come to be a part with us. They said, what, what, what do you guys do? How, how is it that people are are friendly and warm and they greet and they're welcome. And you know, I mean, there's a, there's a bunch of different reasons for that. Yes, we want to encourage that. Yes, we want to teach that. But really, what the, the real answer is, why? I think it's because the gospel has affected your life and you've been welcomed by Jesus and so you want to welcome other people. And that's a sign and a testimony to others of the gospel. That gospel partnership is actually seen in and depends upon welcoming. And Paul knew that he wasn't he wasn't just saying, hey, welcome them because it's a good idea. No, this is actually a part of our gospel testimony. It's how we welcome one another. And he actually gets practical with Phoebe. He says, help her in whatever way she needs. For she's been a patron. And by the way, interesting, it says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. It's the only place where he, he speaks of a woman in this way. He says, a servant, with the word there is actually deacon of the church in Syncre. She, she played a significant role in the church there in Syncre. In some, some way, she had this significant role as a servant, as a deacon in the church there. Not only that, she was a patron of many. She supported gospel mission. And now she needs support. She needs to be welcomed. She needs care. And he says, this is actually part of our gospel partnership, and it depends on welcoming. So, so welcome her in. Welcome her in in whatever way she needs. It might look like giving her a place to stay or helping her move in or helping her with meals or providing for her needs physically or financially. He says, she's done the same for many. She's did the same for me. Now she is in need. Welcome her. You know, we can, we can do that. We can partner together with fellow believers as we welcome them. Welcome them into our homes. Welcome them into the church body. And that welcome is not just a saying hello, but that welcome is saying, hey, hey, you want to get together for coffee sometime? You want to go out for a meal? Hey, you know what? I've actually, you know, something that Julie and I used to do um, habitually uh, before I was a pastor, when I was not thinking of being a pastor, we would, we would make, you know, Julie would make a crock pot meal. I don't know if people still do crock pot meals or like, but we would put a crock pot meal on or Julie would put something in and, and have it prepared to be ready so that we could invite somebody to come back to our house. Why? Because we wanted to welcome somebody. I know that a lot of you do that as well, and you welcome people. It's a, it's, a, it's a good practice where you can welcome people, and you can have fellowship in the gospel and communicate the welcome of Jesus Christ. We can partner together with fellow Christians and demonstrate the effects of the gospel in our lives. And then the next 14 verses, Paul, he writes about greeting and welcoming a whole lot of people. Now, there's something in that. There's something we can see in that, is that Paul had affection for people because of his gospel partnership with them. He commends them. They're beloved in the Lord. And he commends, interestingly enough, he, he commends women in the church more, I think, than any other author in the New Testament. And he highlights how the women are the ones working hard in the gospel. They're patrons. They're working hard. They're serving. They're caring. Welcome them. Greet them. 
he, he was passionate about these relationships because he, he had gospel partnerships together with them. Priscilla and Aquila, they, they had gone from Rome. They went to Corinth and started a church, a house church there with Paul. And then they were going back to Rome and they had a, a house, a church in their house in Rome. And, and Paul says, you know, welcome and greet them. They're dear to me. He had affection for his fellow saints in the gospel. And he, he implies really this culture really of not only relationships that he has developed and maintained. Now something that's interesting is that he has never been to the church in Rome and yet he lists over 25 individuals that he has developed and maintained some kind of relationships with that he knows that he's made an effort to maintain these gospel-oriented relationships and he wants to keep them up and he wants them to be welcomed. It's something we need to model but and not just model but pursue. Are you pursuing gospel relationships? Are you pursuing gospel partnerships? And are you welcoming? And he shows this culture of welcoming that's important because it evidences the good news of Jesus that, that God makes us a family. You know, how you welcome, how we practice greeting each other warmly and affectionately, it's a practice that demonstrates that we're a family. And it reinforces both in, in our minds and others' minds that we are a family and God has done something unique here and we want to treat each other that way. And how you greet and welcome people here on Sunday morning, how you greet and welcome people in care group, how you greet and welcome your fellow brothers and sisters, it's a reflection of how Jesus himself welcomes us. How he is glad to see us. It's a reflection of the love of Jesus. That's why it's important we as a church, we're friendly to people who visit. It's why it's important that everybody here sees himself as part of the welcoming team. Don't assume that people are adequately welcomed and greeted. Assume that, hey, I want to be a minister and partner together in the gospel by welcoming people. Greet people you don't know. Don't ignore them. Don't assume that they... They don't want to be talked to. Assume that they need to be welcomed. Make eye contact. Shake people's hands. You know, it, it would be weird culturally to greet somebody else with a holy kiss. But there's something in that command that is an affection that we should greet people with at least. Affection in our hearts that's demonstrated in some tangible way. Don't weird people out by kissing them. It would weird them out. Especially in the culture here in Greenville. But do welcome them. Do show that you have a familiar relationship with them. That's why he commands them, greet one another with a holy kiss. Welcome each other. Look for people that, you know what, maybe you haven't seen people here in a while and you think, I've missed them. I want to let them know that I missed them. And when people haven't, have come they haven't seen for a while, greet them and say, you know, I've missed you. I'm glad you're here. For new people, don't worry about being awkward. Just get over it, introduce yourself, and show them the welcome of Jesus. Make people feel welcome by inviting them to your house. Take them home for a meal. Invite them to the care group or people in care group. Let them know that you, you're glad to see them because it's a reflection of the welcome of Jesus. Now, something else important in his greetings is that Paul actually took the time to get to know people. He was a busy apostle traveling all throughout regions of all, all of the, the the Mediterranean basin, he traveled throughout on gospel mission, yet he took the time to get to know people, to remember things about them, to get to know their names, to know what they were up to. That was part of, of welcoming people. 
So Paul here, as he's closing the letter to the Romans, he's, he is demonstrating the partnership of the gospel, not only in, in giving and encouraging the church to help him, and he was saying our giving actually encourages the church, but in praying and in welcoming as well. And you might be sitting here thinking, well, I, I don't, I, you know what? I don't know if we can give anymore. I don't know, how, I don't know if I, how, how to pray, or I don't know what it looks like to welcome. I don't know if I'm able to do those things. I don't know how to do those things. Or, you know what, there's a lot of to-dos that you're giving me here, and you're giving me a lot of shoulds. But it's really on the basis of what Jesus has done. And, and the gospel is meant to have an effect on our lives. If the gospel has truly had an effect on your life, it will affect how you live. Let me ask you some questions. Is the progress of the gospel, is that central to what you're planning? It was central to what the Apostle Paul planned. Everywhere he went, he went with the plans of the gospel in mind, carrying the gospel mission. Everywhere you go, is the gospel central to your plans? Is it at the front of your mind wherever you go in whatever you do in whatever your vocation is? Whether you are a student, a homemaker, whether you are a high-powered lawyer, whether you are uh, a doctor, whether you are taking out the trash, whether you're with your neighbors, whatever you do in every way, is it driving what you do? Is it central to your plans? What role does the progress of the gospel have in your life? Does what Jesus did for you in the gospel govern your decisions? Does it govern how you live? Does it govern what you spend your money on? Does it govern where you spend your time? Does it govern how you pray? Does it govern how you interact with other people? Is his plan for your daily life evident in how you're living? Are you planning and pursuing and purposing anything in your life that demonstrates your relationship with Jesus Christ? How do you plan to partner together in the gospel? What does it look like for you? Are you participating with others self-consciously in the spread of the gospel? Are you seeking to participate together? Are you seeking to give, to pray, to welcome? Are you seeking to, to let the gospel drive your mission? Do the needs of other people, do they ever direct you? Is self-advancement the only factor for you? Or do the needs of others, do the well-being of others, does the gospel affect how you live? I don't say they bring condemnation, but these things should challenge us. Paul's example should challenge us. His testimony should challenge us. His entreaties, his commands to us should challenge us. But the only way that's possible we'll be able to carry out those things if really is if you understand who you are in Jesus and what he's done for you. The only way you can be giving in gospel partnership, be praying and welcoming, is if you understand that Jesus has given to you. Jesus has given all. Jesus gave it all. We, I love that song that we sing. Jesus gave it all, all to him I owe. The only way for us to be living like this is if we understood that Jesus gave it all for us. Jesus is the ultimate example of giving. Giving in every way to the very end. Giving because he loved us. 
Jesus is an example of praying, not just in his life, but he was the example in his life as he prayed, but he prays for us. If you understand that Jesus is the one who prays for you, that will empower and enable your prayers for others and for the church and for yourself. Paul's been writing about that in Romans already. He says that he intercedes. Not only is God, the Holy Spirit's praying for you when you when you don't even know what to pray, God is for you. Now Jesus is actually making intercessory prayer for you. Because Jesus gives, because Jesus prays, we can give, we can pray. Not only that, Jesus welcomes us. He doesn't ostracize us. We don't belong naturally after Adam's sin. We don't belong in God's house. And yet Jesus made a way we can be right with God by removing the punishment and the penalty for our sins, by taking that on himself. And now he welcomes us into the presence of God. We experience the giving of Jesus. We experience the praying of Jesus and the welcome of Jesus. Jesus partners with us in the gospel. Isn't that crazy? His gospel partnership with us looks like him giving to us, praying for us, welcoming us. And he encourages us to to continue that work, to carry out what he is doing, to, to give, to pray, and to welcome because he has given. He has constantly praying and he constantly welcomes us. That's our motivation. That's our enablement. And as we trust in him and look to him, he's going to enable us to do that. So we get to join together in this common mission for the gospel and our giving and our praying and our welcoming. And in church, I want to encourage us to think about how we put those things in practice today. Think about ways to give to what God's doing in this church and in churches that we mission missions that we partner together with. Let's pray for this church. Let's pray for fellow church plants like Reconcile Community Church across town and welcome, ironically, and welcome South Carolina. Let's pray for Reach Life Church. Let's pray for New Life Church in Spartanburg. Let's pray for Cross Life Church. And let's welcome, let's look for ways to welcome and show the welcome of Jesus to others. Amen? Let's pray, and then we'll sing together. Jesus, thank you that you gave, you gave your life away for us that we might have new life in you that's secure. Jesus, thank you that you continually pray for us, intercede for us. Holy Spirit, that you pray for us when we're too weak, we don't even know what to pray. Thank you we can rest in your prayers for us. And thank you, Jesus, that you welcome us into your family and you welcome us into God's presence so we never need to wonder if we are welcome in you. We are always welcome to the Father through you, Jesus. And God, I pray then you would enable us to live out your testimony. God, enable us to be faithful gospel witnesses because you've made us anew and alive in you. And God, I pray that you would encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.